Genesis chapter 2. We don't preach, I don't think we hear many sermons from this area of the Bible because everybody just knows Adam and Eve, right? They know the story from childhood. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24. I had to look at this passage a few weeks ago for a different reason, and something jumped out to me. And um, I drew something different than all the years of hearing Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they ate the fruit, and then they sinned, and they were naked, and all this stuff. Wah, 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 I heard it a million times. I said, this is something different. Sometimes we need something different because we want to grow spiritually. If we keep hearing the same old thing, God is able, which is true, but we need to build some roots underneath too to know why he's able and why he's good and why he loves us and what he did for us. We can never stop being reminded of that. Amen. Verse 18, this is when Adam was just chillaxing in paradise with his virgin pina colada that I like to get. By the beach, they charge you like $10 for this little frozen mixture slurpee is what it really is. But when you're by the beach, it feels worth $10. And then you get home and you go, why did I spend $100 on these frozen Slurpees, I could have got a QT for 50 cents. I don't know, God. Help me. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Everybody say comparable. That's important. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. You know, you got giraffe, you got squirrel, you've got raccoon. More than that, there was hundreds of things probably. Poor Adam. And he was alone too, but he was in paradise, and that's what matters. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not one found of a helper that was comparable. There it is again. There was nothing found that was comparable to him. There was other creatures, but there was no one comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Everybody say deep sleep. To fall on Adam, and he slept. He took a nap, and he took one of his ribs while he was in surgery. He was, he was, under, the, he was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In, in like when you go into surgery and you wake up and magic happens, your rib is gone. He took his rib and closed up the flesh in its place while he slept. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woe man, and he brought to her, to the man. He brought her to the man, and Adam said, "This is now the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of me, out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too, they twain, depends what what translation, shall become one flesh." How many know marriage is a spiritual union? And you may be separate physically, but you are spiritually one. That's why we light the candles. I'm just, we're talking about church here. But when you think of marriage in like our world, we really go back to the Bible. Remember, the church was the bride of Christ. It's a marriage. It's a union. And it's not to be divided. And obviously things happen. But what I'm saying is when you realize there's a spiritual significance and not just a piece of paper, it makes a difference. How you think of it? Just throwing that out there. They were one. One came from the other, and they can't be separated. 
my title of this message today, and I hope it's fitting for y'all, someone that can receive this today, is you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. Years ago, I thought it would be really smart to move to Nashville, Tennessee to pursue an R&B music career in the country music capital. That made total sense, Selena. It made total sense. It didn't make sense, but, but that's what I did. So, so June 5th, 1999, we packed up the trailer. I think it was my brother's we were borrowing. Mom and dad took, now I did finish college down there, but I really just used the college to really funnel my desire to pursue the music, okay? And some of you already know this and have heard this, and you're like, okay, I've heard this. But no, this version is going to be a little different, so stay connected in the story, okay? Don't drift off yet. Come on, people, you got a sense of humor? It's a joke. You know the guy that walks in and falls asleep before we even start preaching? We don't want that. We want to wake you up. So we pack it all up. We go down June 5th, 1999. Why do I remember? Because it was a significant moment in my life that I hated and I loved at the same time. That was the worst thing and the best thing at the same time. And so we moved down there. I was going to finish my next couple years of college at Belmont University, pursue music, music business, and blah, 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 wah, 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 put you to sleep make no money, work at Starbucks, it's all good. And, 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 and so we moved down there, I get into this apartment, and what I didn't really think about was that I didn't know anybody. I knew one person, uh, a, mu- a music producer, that tried to make me country, by the way. Little Jeffy wasn't doing the country thing. But that's the only guy I knew, and he was like a lot older to me than me, so it's not like I was gonna hang out. I didn't really have any friends. And so, so mom and dad can probably remember this. We get there, and it's all good, and it's time for them to go home. St. Louis. I know it sounds so petty, doesn't it? It's only five hours. I mean, we've got kids, foreign exchange kids coming from across the world to, to spend their lives to make a better life. And I'm going, I miss my mommy and daddy. It's five hours. I could drive there in five hours, but I'm scared. But that was what it was to me. You know, our walks are all different. And just because one person can handle one thing doesn't mean that your situation is insignificant because it's smaller to them. It's where you're at. And that's where I was at. And so, so I remember it was time to go. You remember this? I get emotional talking about it because it's stirring up those feelings. And, Dad, do you remember this? Dan, do you remember this? He remembers this. I'm just going to speak for him. My mom always cries. She's my mom. It's time to go. She's crying her eyes out. But I knew something was wrong when my dad started bawling his eyes out. Crying, crying. Not teared up. He was crying. And he's going to say, I don't remember that. I do. You were crying. And I said, oh, this is not good. I've never seen my dad cry. Ever. Until that moment that I can recall. And it wasn't like sniffles. It was like, my son. I'm losing my son. And as a dad, I get it. And I'll never let my kids do what I did. (laughs) Never. But let me tell you, at that moment, I felt called to something that was going to take me to a season that I wasn't prepared for and I was scared for. But when you feel called, you step out on the waters anyway. I left everything. And when my mom and dad left, I felt like someone died. You know that that sick feeling in your stomach, that like horrible gut-wrenching feeling? That's what went through me when they left me in that apartment. But what did I do? Well, by the next day, I was better. And after a week, I got some roommates and then got used to it. I ended up being there five years. 
But that moment, that loneliness, and, and, and that journey had hills and valleys, and there was many times I remember in anguish going, God, are you still with me? Are you still here? Is this really what you want me to do? Because this is lonely. Why would anyone choose to do this? Why would they want to be here? And I remember laying there, broke, waiting tables, laying in this apartment, and the floor was crooked because I was renting a different place years later in the back of a house, and the floor was crooked. So to walk straight, you're actually walking like this because the floor was so old and it was crooked, and some guy lived in the front, and he was irritating me, and I didn't have a fridge, and it was just really weird. I had a mattress and a sound booth, of course. Had to keep the recordings going. I had a little sound booth that we made. I had a twin bed, and I think I had a computer. And like a, maybe a mini fridge. But I remember throughout those years, the loneliness. The number one thing I remember is the loneliness. And the Bible says that the problem Adam had is that he had no one. And that man should not be alone. I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm cool. I'm like Adam. I feel alone. And, and so God doesn't desire that any of us live like that. It's not natural that you should be alone. Woo man or man, neither should be alone. And if you are, that's okay. It's okay, but we weren't designed to stay alone. And it, it, it's a lonely thing when you step out of the crowd and pursue something greater than yourself, something bigger than yourself. Maybe, maybe some of you are pursuing something right now that is so big that the world says, why bother? And perhaps the odds are very much against you, and the odds say you will not succeed. I don't know about you, but I don't live by odds. I live by the will of God. And the will of God breaks odds all the time. So when you're pursuing something and you feel alone, you got to say, is this the will of God that I'm pursuing? Because it makes a difference if, if I'm going to be successful long term. It's when we take these steps of faith into pursuing the dreams God put in our heart, we actually find ourselves in seclusion, scratching our heads, wondering, where did everybody go that was saying, go do this? And now they're crickets. Everybody was saying, yeah, you should do that. And then when your actions gave birth to it, you're climbing up the mountain, and you look down, and they're all standing there going, that's a steep mountain. See you when you get back. You ever felt that? Has anybody ever felt that? Has anybody ever pursued something bigger than themselves? Come on, somebody. You guys with me? It takes courage. It takes faith. Because you can't do it alone. You're not meant to be alone, and you're not in it. Alone. Sometimes when we're on this journey, we'll hit that isolation, and we don't know how to get out. And perhaps we feel like our surrounding friends and family, not only do they don't understand, but sometimes we say, I don't think they even care. I don't think they care that I'm doing this. And, and then you start feeling pity, and you say, you, say, you know what, this is, this is what God called me to do. They're not going to understand what God called me to do. They're not going to understand what God called you to do specifically. When your neighbor thinks you're crazy because you want to share the gospel or this or that, they're not doing your will. You're doing God's will. That's why we say discover God's perfect plan made just for you. Because the plan that God designed for you can't be done by your friend. They got their own. And that's up to them to follow it. But you'll, you'll run into this season and what felt like so encouraging when the idea was fresh and everybody was behind you will start feeling like a weight when the crowd is gone. And you got to dig anyway. You got to dig anyway. So my question to you this morning is even when the world feels, feels absent, will you continue to do the thing that God has called you and commissioned you to do? Will you do it anyway? 
Let your neighbor say, do it anyway. Do it. If they're five, they got a mission. Tell them, do it anyway. Don't color on the walls. Don't do that anyway. Don't color on the walls anyway. That's not God's will, little Timmy. (laughs) But it's that season of preparation that can feel really lonely. Really lonely. Preparation is when God is building something and you don't see the results, but something's happening. And in, in all those years, I questioned, what is God building except loneliness? I can say confidently I've received my calling, but staying active in isolation is lonely. Did God call you to build something this morning? A ministry? A family? A business? Something that takes stepping out. Are you trying to build something? And now the newness may have worn off, and you're saying, is it really worth this. Remember, if it was easy, I love this because it works. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So when it's hard, there's value. When you have to go through something that's hard, there's going to be value from it. Because if it was easy, everyone would do it. And what's best for you is not what's most comfortable and convenient for you. I would love to go eat some Ben and Jerry's and have a six pack. It's not going to happen. It's going to become a one flabby pack, flabbier than it already is, okay? If you want it, you got to work through it. There's no glory on the other side until you go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And that's when God prunes us in preparation and feel lonely. Progress is easy when you have support. But when you feel abandoned, will you keep doing the thing God has called you to do, even if you feel like there's no one comparable to you. Even when you feel like Adam and you can't even get a raccoon to help you out. Even when you can't even find a giraffe nearby, which my kids would think that was so cool. They just love animals. But the Bible says it was not comparable, so that was the problem. You need comparable help to do it. So when it gets bad enough and we're in isolation, now the question becomes, do we start isolating from God as well? Or are we isolating so that we can actually hear God speak to us? Adam slept, the Bible said. Adam could have very well said, God's not interested. I'm going to take a nap. But you know, Adam didn't know what was happening while God was doing things because he was sleeping. He was separated from what God was doing consciously. And so when we think we know that God is doing something or not doing something, we decide to change the scope of things. We start pursuing another direction and isolating from our maker. It's called a carnal expectation. And we'll start disqualifying how God is going to move in our situation. I mean, do you think Adam really thought he was going to steal a rib when he was sleeping and he'd wake up and there'd be a woman? Do you think he expected that? No. There had never been a woman, ever. She's the first, Cheyenne. She's the first woman. So there's no way that he could have known ahead of time that God would do it that way. So let me tell you that when God actually does what you want, it's never like you planned. It's never what you thought it would be. So when you keep defining God, how he's going to make you succeed in your venture, then you're going to start drifting because he's not doing it like you thought. That's called a carnal expectation. A carnal expectation. And you, you start telling yourself, I've invested so much. And now you start distancing from God because we question his presence. Is loneliness, your feeling of absence, 
of God or is it God actually working on your behalf? Adam could have said God's not here, but he was sleeping when God was actually doing the most. So Adam's sense that God was not present because he was sleeping or dreaming about whatever was actually when God was doing the most. He made another life in the process. He gave life to something Adam had no consciousness of. And Adam very well would have had no idea. No idea. So he would have said, God is not doing anything right now. And then he woke up and realized God was doing the most. Is your loneliness actually a moment that God is doing something for you right now on your behalf? Remember, verse 21 says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. That's when he pulled the rib. Adam didn't know about it. So God, God's trying to tell you, just because you don't know about it doesn't mean I'm not doing something. It's called faith. You don't know the end yet. I don't know the end yet. Nobody knows the end yet except God. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I think I know what tomorrow looks like, but I'm, there's always unplanned surprises. That's called faith. We live by faith, not by fear. So we go anyway. We pursue life anyway. We pursue our dreams anyway because we have faith that if it's in God's will, We'll succeed because we know that God has our best interests. But if we let that carnal part of us catch up, that fleshly part, we start running from maybe he who's been working for us all along. Even when the world feels absent and you think there's no one else, will you keep doing the thing God has called you to do? Because guess what? You're not in this alone. Adam wasn't alone. Adam wasn't alone. Adam had God the whole time. He didn't have a fleshly person, but he had God the whole time. Never was Adam really alone. God says, you're my bride. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go deep for you. I'm going to try to not go too deep here, confuse you. Let me say this good. Let me say this good. This is for if you're feeling Alone. Jesus says, you are my bride. Eve became Adam's bride. The church is God's bride. It's Jesus' bride. Christ is the groomsman. We are the, we are the, the he's the groom. We are the, the bride, the bridesmaid. We are the bride, excuse me. Not enough caffeine today. You are my bride. In, here's the thing. Is this is a foreshadow of what Christ did and is doing today in your season of loneliness. God's relationship with us is just like Adam yearning for Eve and vice versa. It's a little different. Watch this. Isaiah says, for your maker is your husband. Well, how many makers do y'all have? I got one, and that's Jesus. So Jesus is my husband. That don't make any sense. He's talking about the church. The church husband is Jesus. Then Jesus says in chapter 14 of John, one of my favorites, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So here the groom is saying, I will come to my bride when you make covenant with me, when you join in this union, marriage, for your, for your, for your maker is your husband. 
Isaiah said. He's prophesied. And now Jesus said, I will come to you. I will not leave you parentless. I will not leave you orphans. He says, I, the Holy Spirit, he references himself in the third person. He is the Spirit of God that came. It's the same Spirit of God that created the heavens, that came into Christ, was crucified on the cross, that rose again, and then became available to us through the new birth in the book of Acts. So he's saying, when that happens, I will come to you. I will come back to you. The spirit that dwells in me will dwell in you, and you are not alone when that happens. You're just like Adam. But here's the funny part, is we're kind of like Eve also, because we're married at this point to the groom, the maker, Jesus. We're married to the groom. And we cannot be separated from this union, the Bible says. And he says it's the church's husband. So when you realize that you have this union, even when you're in your room and you're wondering, am I ever going to find a man? And am I ever going to find a girlfriend or anything else? Am I so lonely? Blah, my life's horrible. My life's horrible. Jesus says, you're married to me when you get in covenant with this union. Come on, somebody. This is the word of God. I didn't make it up. If I did, it'd be different not as good. And you wouldn't probably come back to church. This is the meat of the cake. This is the bread of the cake. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So so to be in covenant with Christ means you are never alone. You cannot be alone. And God was doing his greatest work when you thought he'd abandon you, says Adam. So in one sense, we're like Adam. In another sense, we're like Eve. Because we have now available to us, the greatest relationship that will never be divided, that will never turn its back on us. We have the greatest marriage available to us. Even in my singleness as a man, I can have the greatest union with my Christ in a covenant that he won't leave me or abandon me, and he's working for me and has the best in mind for me. If y'all could stand this morning, God says, you are my bride. God says, the church is not a building. The church is my bride. God says, when you get worked up over that, it's marriage, baby. That's what marriages do. Marriages have some fights here and there. They got to have a little squabble to make progress, you know. God says, you're my bride. And when I give you a little bit of tough times, I'm doing something in you to make you better. I'm working when you're sleeping. You think I'm not there? I'm working on your behalf. I'm building something out of you. I'm pulling an Eve out of you to make something good for you so that you will not be alone. I, says the Lord, am with you. You are not alone. God was activating something when I said, you left me. I said, you left me, God. He says, I was working for you. Never leave you. Never left. I was doing something for your greater good. I never left. And I can look back now. I can look back now and see that all those years of misery, can I be real? It was miserable at times. I mean, I was playing Uno with myself. Who does that? I always win, though. I always knew the other person's hand. I remember watching, watching Bishop Jakes the first time ever on, um, I don't know, some cable TV. And he's shouting about the Holy Ghost. And he's in his preacher voice, and I'm too white to do it good. And he's doing it, and he's saying all these things. And, and I, I broke down because God was stirring something then that's happening now. That was 23 years ago. 
God was doing some. God is doing the same to you. He's working in you now when you feel like the seed is not germinating. It is. It's got to have the winter come through and germinate that puppy. So when the spring comes, new life is formed. New people come in the church. Lives are touched that you think you had no impact on because you went to church and they saw you. It makes a difference. God is using you while you think he's not there. You are not alone, and you are not to meant to be alone. Let's pray, and then we'll worship a little bit. Father, we come to you right now in your mighty name, the only name given among men that we can be saved. Jesus, Jehovah, saves his people from their sins. That one should come, and that's you. The Bible says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. So you didn't send somebody else. You said, I'll take care of it, and I'm going to come so that you can have an opportunity to be in an eternal marriage with me. So when you're fighting those devils during the week, and you think that you have no one to listen to you, and that nobody cares, you can be reminded that I still care, that I will never leave you, that I am for you, that when you're sleeping, I'm fighting on your behalf. I'm looking out for you just like an earthly father who protects his child. Your heavenly father is always protecting his child, even when you think he is not there. So God, we pray right now that we can keep this in the forefront of our mind and that we can take this going forward into our week and be full of joy, God, because we want to be full. We want to be full of joy and get the garbage out of the garden, God, so we can make room for the new. Everybody say together, let's make room for the new. God, you are doing something, and we give you all the praise and all the glory, and if the house of God can say together, amen.